We are going through the book of Romans looking at some of the most amazing, life-changing, incredible truths in all of God's word. Romans chapter 6, and we've been there for a while. According to the U.S. Bureau of Justice of Statistics, not something that I read or quote from often, but we're going to go there today. According to the BJS, almost 2.3 million adults, 2.3 million adults were incarcerated in the United States in 2011. On top of that, another 4.8 million adults were living either on parole or on probation. That means there's 7 million, almost 7 million adults in the United States living under correctional supervision to some degree with some of their freedoms limited. What they can and can't do, where they can go and not go, who they can see and not see. Freedoms that are curtailed. Seven million in this land. But as shocking as that is, today I want to talk to you about an even greater loss of freedom because the biggest tragedy in this land is not that seven million adults are living with some measure or degree of physical limitations on their freedom. Now, the greatest tragedy today is that untold millions, both in this country and outside of this country worldwide, are living in spiritual bondage to sin and Satan. And most of them don't even know it. Today I want to show you the prison. I want to show you today from God's word the prison that so many people live in, as well as the exit, as well as the way out, the exit and the freedom that you can have in Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, and I hope you got a Bible with you or an application or device where you can see it. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. I'm going to read all the way to the end of the chapter now. Romans 6, beginning in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. That's the second time now he's gone there to, re- to, to rebuff what he anticipates people, people might say. He's already done it in the beginning of chapter 6, where he went on about grace so much that he knows someone's going to say, well, if that's how it works, the more you sin, the more grace you get. Why don't we just run out and sin? So here he is again saying, you're not under law, but under grace. So would we just go on and continue in sin because we're not under law, but under grace? No way. Meganoita in the Greek. No way. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. But God, be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. God, oh God, take your word now. Use your word to reveal to us who we truly are, and where we truly stand with you. Every single person here, young, old, black, white, male, female, rich, poor, wherever we are and whoever we are right now, use your word to reveal to us who we are spiritually and where we stand in relation to you. God, we give you thanks for creation. We thank you for the the beauty of ice and snow and, and summer and sunshine and oceans and sand and the turning of the colors of the leaves and mountains and streams. And all of this declares there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. It is your general revelation. But God, we would never, ever figure out from mountains and streams and sand and oceans and colored leaves What is this God like? And does he know us? How does he relate to us? Where do I stand in relationship to him? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? Is there meaning? Is it more than just living and breathing and dying and working and building and gaining? And what is this all about? Oh God, thank you for your special revelation of your inspired word. Cause your word right now in these final minutes together to run and be glorified. Be the hammer and the fire you've promised it would be. Be the sword that pierces into the heart and soul and mind of men and women. Tell us what we need to know. That we might live how we need to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, none of us walked in here free men and women, regardless of the lack of shackles or or armbands that are tracking you. None of us walked in here free men and women. Nobody. Nobody. We're all slaves to somebody or something. All of us. It's just a question of who or what. All slaves to somebody. I hope you picked up on in those verses from 15 to 23, how many times that word was used? Slave, 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 slavery, slavery, slave, slave, slavery. All of us. And so these, in these verses today, verse 15 to 23, I believe that you can see four universal conditions of our slavery. I want to show you from these verses in the time we have left, four universal conditions of our slavery, and you're in it. So I'm not talking about somebody else. Don't get somebody else in mind. Every human being coming into this world has the condition I'm about to talk to you about from God's word. Four universal conditions that you can see spelled out in these verses. Here's the first. Number one. Number one. You only have two options as to who you're going to serve. You only have two options as to who you're going to serve. Look at verse 16 again. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? Here's the two options. 
whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. No middle ground. Not a third option, fourth option, fifth option. I know that's hard as Americans. We walk down the aisle in the grocery store and we got 19,000 cereals. I mean, you just drink coffee. It's not like, oh my word, what kind of coffee you want? What kind of bean you want? Where was it grown? How was it mixed? How was it roasted? We live in a culture, in a land of so many choices. We think that we, it's just always gonna be that way. Listen to me, two options. Two options as to who you're gonna serve. He boils it down to just two. You're either serving sin right now or you're serving God. Either sin is your master or God is your master. But you're not free. You are a slave and so am I. You're a slave and so am I. It's just a question of who is your master. But I know some of you might be thinking, pushing back a little bit. I'm nobody's slave. I'm free. I call the shots in my life. Nobody tells me what to do. I make my own choices and I execute my own well laid out plans. Don't call me a slave. Well, I would say I hate to rub you the wrong way, but I'm going to say I'm happy to rub you the wrong way. Happy to rub you the wrong way and be the bearer of bad news because listen to me, you're not the first one to be living under this kind of delusion and that's what you are. If you're pushing back, going on and on about your autonomy and your independence, you are deluded. You're deceived. You're deluded. You see, the Jews reacted the very same way to Jesus when he talked about setting them free, making them free, giving them truth that would set them free. They reacted the same way. They let him know in a hurry, we don't need anybody to set us free because we're nobody's slave. Look at it with me in John chapter 8. Turn in your Bibles. Keep your place in Romans 6, because we're coming back there. But go with me to, Rome, uh, to John chapter 8, and you'll see that they were highly offended. They took great offense that he would even talk to them this way. Offended. What do you mean? What are you doing talking to us like this? John chapter 8. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 32. Jesus speaking, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you, say it, free. And they answered him, oh, thank you. We've been waiting for someone to come and tell us about this. Are you the one? Oh, no. They answered him, hey, we're Abraham's descendants. And we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You see, here's the problem. You're not interested in freedom until you recognize your slavery. You're not going to get excited about freedom, the, the, the proclamation of freedom, the pointing of an exit door, a way out, a way to be free, a way to be unshackled. A way to be released, you got to recognize and own up and, and acknowledge, oh, I'm a slave. That's the problem. Just like the Jews in Christ's day, we think we are the captain and master of our own soul and destiny. And that sin is just our little plaything that we pull out to amuse ourselves. I'll let it go so far and no more, and I just put it away anytime I want to. I am in control of this, and it pleases me. The shocking and offensive truth of the matter, my friend, is that sin has its ring in your nose. And it owns you. 
all the while deceiving you into thinking you are in control, but you are not. And it's the same sense of autonomy and self-sufficiency and independence and you can do whatever you set your mind to do kind of attitude that drives so much of our lives as human beings on this earth. And it gets extolled, this kind of attitude. You can do whatever you set your mind to do. You can be whatever you want to be. It gets extolled as one of the greatest motivators. Now, don't hear me, don't, don't hear me saying we don't need more people to get motivated, be disciplined, work hard, go hard, please. But as you do, the Bible reminds us you have limitations. And you better recognize what they are. You have limitations, particularly as it relates to the spiritual realm. On a spiritual level, it's a big, fat lie that you can do whatever you choose, be whatever you want, just set your mind to it. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Most of you have probably run across a poem by William Ernest Henley. It gets read and quoted at graduations and such, times like that, often. It was written 150 years ago, and yet it still captures so well this deluded spirit and this sense that we resonate with of, yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. It's titled Invictus, and it goes like this. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds me and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate How charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. (laughs) Heady stuff, huh? Doesn't that make you want to go out and conquer something, do something, be something? Just one problem. One big, big problem. One eternal problem that will land you in a place you, you don't want to go. Big problem tucked down into this motivational poem that will lead you astray. Because it also makes you think you are an absolute free agent and can work hard at whatever you choose and become whatever you want to be. But it is a lie because there's absolutely no mention of the spiritual slavery and limitations that you are born with. All of us as human beings. Yet God's word declares we are slaves And cannot shake it on our own. Cannot. You'll not unshackle yourself. You don't have the key that opens the door to this prison you're in spiritually. But here's what I believe. As Paul wrote. So Paul wrote this book originally that was a letter to the Christians in the city of Rome. As he wrote this. And you saw how many times the word slave, 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 slavery, 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 slave. I believe as they heard this letter read the first time. As they gathered. They understood much better than we do today what Paul was getting at. Because in their day, I don't know if you knew this, in their day in first century city of Rome, in first century city of Rome, one third of all the inhabitants in that city were slaves. 
Can you imagine that? Three out of every ten people, slaves. Slaves, slaves. In fact, there was such a huge population of slaves in the city of Rome, someone came up with the idea and suggested that they should all wear a certain mark on their garments, outward, kind of like the Nazis did with the Jews with the Star of David. And then it was scrapped. It was scrapped, and they said, oh, you know, on second thoughts, no. Because they realized, were these slaves to all be made aware of just how many there were and how strong their numbers are, we'd be in big trouble. That many in the city of Rome. On top of that, a lot of the free men and women in the city of Rome had once been slaves themselves. It was very common to have been a slave and perhaps purchased your freedom or things have changed. It's estimated that perhaps half of the church at Rome, when they heard this letter, were either slaves right then as it was being read or had been slaves. So they understood the implications of what Paul was saying because their culture was much more steeped in slavery. And here's what I believe they understood far better than we do. One thing they knew for sure. Obedience was the universal hallmark of slavery. Obedience was the universal hallmark of slavery. It was the litmus test of ownership. Obedience. Obedience is the litmus test for ownership. So let me ask you. Let's move away from Rome right here. Who do you obey? I'm not asking what you say with your lips, what you say with your mouth. Who do you obey really? Sin or righteousness? God or Satan? See, this is why Jesus, folks, and it's jarring It's sobering and it's rattling these places in the Gospels where Jesus would turn to the crowd and all kinds of people in the crowd would be saying, oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. You're the man. You're the man. Bring on the bread. Do that fish and bread thing. Love you. Love you. Everybody in the crowd saying, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. We're not true followers of Jesus Christ. That's why he said in Luke 6, 46, He turned on him and said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not, what's the litmus test? What's the hallmark? Do not do the things I command you or say. That's why he told one of the most sobering, gave one of the most sobering exhortations in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 when he began to say the very same thing. Very same thing he's driving home. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what's even scarier about that place in Matthew 7? It goes on to say, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not feed the hungry in your name? Did we not clothe the naked in your name? Lord, did we not host a small group and we got kids urinating downstairs on our Berber carper in your name? We did that kind of stuff. Did we not tithe? Did we not support missionaries? Did we not serve with the coffee? Did we not stand in the icy parking lot with a vest helping? Did we not do all these things? He's going to say, depart from me, not, well, I knew you and then I forgot you. We had a relationship, then it fell off. Depart from me. I never knew you. 
He says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Obedience is the litmus test of ownership. Let me ask you, who owns you? And don't give me that, nobody owns me. I'm my own man, my own woman. Who owns you? Who do you obey? Those two things are connected. Who owns you? Who do you obey? See, some of you are serving sin right now, and that means you're a slave to sin. You don't play with it. You don't set limitations on it. You don't choose how long, how far, what, and then put it away. You're fooling yourself. It owns you. It may be laid back right now, but it just wants to get its hooks in you, get you you relaxed, get you not so cautious, not so on edge, not so vigilant till can take you down. You think you're busy serving yourself and your own interests, but you're not. Ultimately, you're serving sin and the interests of your great enemy, Satan. And he is just, get this, he is just cheering you on all the while you dig yourself down into a pit of sin, singing about your freedom. With every shovel full of dirt thrown over your shoulder, talking about how free you are. And actually, while you can still see above the rim of your pit of sin, looking around saying, I feel sorry for all those Christians. Oh, man, do I feel bad for them. Bad for them that they can't do what they want. They got all those rules and my world's big. Hmm. Digging yourself into a pit of sin, all the while declaring your freedom. It's interesting to me how many times the people that are most enslaved to sin are the ones who want to argue the most how free they are. Folks, I haven't seen this once. I've seen it over and over and over. Whether it's obsessed for money while they wreck their family, whether it's chasing after sexual immorality and adultery while there's shrapnel all behind them, whatever it is, whether it's a drug, a prescription drug, or a street drug saying, hey, I can do this, I can do this, I can still work a job, it's not gonna get me, it's not gonna get me, it's not gonna get me. And it gets them. Just try to tell the Casanova who's infected with herpes, he's a slave. He'll laugh at you. Just try to tell that couple that's building their dream home again. Because it's still not just how they want it. They're still just not quite satisfied. Better things have come out now. Cooler things have come out. I can just walk in a room and speak. Lights. And they'll come on. Got to have that. Again, that they're slaves, they look at you like you're crazy. Just tell that man or woman with that corner office and that power position at work who's driven relentlessly to be, do more, be more, get more, that they're a slave and they have no idea what you're talking about. You see, we actually think we're free and having fun. That's the deception, that's the delusion. That's what Taylor Swift was singing about in her song 22. And I like Taylor Swift, okay? So don't, not slamming her to the mat totally. Got some Taylor Swift on my playlist. But I'm telling you what, this week I was driving around and this song 22 came on. I'm like, man, that is bad. That is so wrong. I'm writing that down and using it in my sermon. So here we go. I'm not going to sing it. I didn't take the time to work on that. 
But it jumped out at me as I heard her. I've been working on this, meditating on this, digging into this passage. And I hear her in my car saying, we're happy, free, confused, and lonely at the same time. It's miserable and magical. Oh, yeah. And I thought to myself, I don't know her. I like her. I thought to myself, either she knows or she's going to find out at some point. It doesn't take long, my friend, before miserable begins to trump and triumph and drown out magical. And if we just keep dancing like we're 22, that won't get it. Because you're dancing as a slave. And the longer you dance apart from Christ in your life, the slavery gets more entangled and more entangled and more entangled till you reach a point you just can't dance. But you fool yourself saying, I'm still dancing. I still got it. Sure. Oh, this is, I'm having fun. That's the lie. And your enemy, Satan, just laughs. Eugene Peterson describes it this way. He says, true, we have in our country abolished the institutional form of slavery and all but eliminated a servant class. But the experience of servitude is still among us and it's as oppressive as ever. Freedom is on everyone's lips, but not many feel or act free. We live in a nation of complainers and a society of addicts. Everywhere we turn, we hear complaints. I can't spend my money the way I want. I can't spend my time the way I want. I can't be myself. I'm under the control of others all the time. And everywhere we meet the addicts. Addiction to alcohol and drugs, to compulsive work habits and to obsessive consumption. And listen to what he says next. The Christian is a person who recognizes that our real problem is not in achieving freedom. But in learning service under a better master. The Christian realizes that every relationship that excludes God becomes oppressive. Recognizing and realizing that we urgently, listen to this, we urgently want to live under the mastery of God. When you hear that, If that just rubs like rubbing a dog the wrong way up his fur, perhaps you're not converted. Because when you know Christ, when you've been set free, when he comes into your life, you know, I urgently want to be under the mastery of another. I've lived that life. And I've already made all those free choices, doing what I want to do. And it just led me into a deeper, deeper pit of ensnarement. You are Christian isn't just saying, I want to be free, I want to be free. I want. They're saying, I urgently want to live under the mastery of a better master. That's the hallmark of a Christian. Hallmark of a Christian. Have you come to the point yet in your life? Listen to me. Have you come to the point yet in your life that you've recognized and you realize every relationship that excludes God ultimately Becomes oppressive. Listen to me. That boyfriend, girlfriend, that right now is just, oh, apart from God, and you build your whole world around that, and you put all your hope in that, all your eggs in that basket, mark my words, it'll become oppressive. 
You build your whole world around that work relationship or that particular hobby. If it becomes your identity, God never intended for any person or anything in this world to become your greatest treasure and build your whole world and identity around it and exclude him. Take the gift from him. Did he give us other people? Our relationship's good. Food good. Sex good. Work good. Work's not even bad. People get it wrong there. Work is not a curse. He gave us work and we're created in his image. All of it good. But you take the gift from his hand and say, thank you very much, God. Move on. And you build your world around it and exclude God. It will become oppressive. Bondage. Slavery. Prison. Number two. So there's only two options as to who you're going to serve. Number two, you're already facing the inevitable consequences of what you've been choosing. Right now, you are already facing the inevitable consequences of what you've been choosing. Not one day, someday, in the sweet by and by, I bet I'm going to reap something from some of this. No, you're getting it right now. Right now. That's how it works. Because see, your slavery to sin is leading you deeper and deeper at a greater and greater cost. Deeper, deeper, at a greater and greater cost. Taking more and giving you less. Taking more and giving you less. Taking more and giving you less. That's how it works, my friend. Look at Romans 6:19 again. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. You don't mind marking in your Bible, and I hope you don't, or highlighting on your app. Mark that. Three words. Leading to more. Because it always does. You think, I'm just going to do this. I've got it under control. It's not going to get out of hand. I'm just going to. No, you're not just going to anything. Sin breeds sin that breeds more sin. It is the nature of sin. It's a cancer that spreads until it has destroyed your life. Lawlessness leading to more, leading to more, leading to more. Listen to me. As you head down that path of sin thinking you are so free, so free, sin will always take you further than you ever meant to go. I didn't mean to end up here. Oh, people are in places today that they never meant to go. They were going to do this, but ended up there. I was going to do this, but I ended up there. Sin will always take you further than you ever meant to go. Get this. Keep you longer than you ever meant to stay. I'm young. I was just going to come over here and just do a little dance in this field. Just taste some of this. Just check out some of this. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the tried and true path. I'm coming back. I grew up in a good church. I had a family that taught me the way. I'll come back to this. I just want to do this a little bit. You're deluded. It'll take you further than you ever meant to go, keep you longer than you ever meant to stay, and make you pay more than you ever meant to pay. That's how sin works. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're in it, you're there. It's just a bad deal all around. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis in his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, puts together a seasoned, older demon named Screwtape who is mentoring a younger demon named Wormwood. 
and giving him discipleship advice as to how to destroy us created in the image of God. And he says this. He says, focusing on, quote, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. To get the man's soul and give him nothing in return. That is what really gladdens Satan's heart. He wants to get your soul and give you nothing in return. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what shall a man or a woman give in exchange for their soul? As you chase after other things, don't don't think you're just chasing after other things. It's at the expense of your soul. You're giving away more of your soul, giving away more of your soul. It's at a great cost. There's an exchange going on. It's not free. Sin is never free. What will a man or woman give in exchange for their soul because it's costing you your soul. And some of you right now are caught in this downward cycle. You don't realize what it is, but it's an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Whatever it is, what, what used to do it for you and give you that buzz or... It won't keep doing it. You'll have to make it even more. Or you'll have to step across the line a little more. And you'll be on this endless quest of an ever-increasing craving. It's an agitation. It's not satisfaction. It doesn't lead to satisfaction. Satan doesn't want you to be satisfied. He wants you with a measure of unrest, unsettledness, dissatisfaction continually so that you'll always be a little off balance and looking for that next thing. That next thing, that next thing, ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. That's the lie. And it's got some of you right now. It's got you. I'll tell you some other things that are starting to happen in your life. If sin is still your master and you're on this path. Whenever sin is your master, listen to me, your pain will become greater. Your world will become smaller and your choices will become fewer and fewer. What you thought would lead to freedom? Oh, I'm living large. I'm living large. No, your world is becoming smaller. Your choices are becoming fewer and your pain will become greater and greater and greater. So don't feel sorry for Christians. Don't say, oh, I feel sorry for you all. Do not feel sorry for us. We're the ones that have been set free so that I don't have to do what I think I want, instead I can do what I was designed to do and should do, live for the glory of God. And there is such a freedom in that and a peace in that and a joy in that and a sense of being a round peg in a round hole and I found my place. I don't have to have a perfect marriage. I don't have to have perfect kids. I don't have to have perfect health. I don't have to have perfect finances. I don't have to live in a perfect world. I worship and know personally a perfect God that sent his son to die for me. I got reason to live. I'm not on this quest, this quest, this quest. As I watched the debate Tuesday night with Ken Ham and Bill Nye, the science guy, how my heart went out in those moments when Bill Nye, who's a very smart guy, was honest and said, oh, that's a mystery. 
We don't know. And then he would get animated about the joy of discovery. He said, and we need young people to keep doing research and and discovering because we want to know, why am I here? Is there purpose? Am I alone? Are we alone? Is there something else? I'm thinking, we got answers to all that. And you're not going to find it in a test tube, Bill Nye. You will not research your way in a laboratory to the most important life questions. You'll have to have it revealed to you. You'll have to humble yourself and say, oh, God, show me. And he will. Don't feel sorry for us. You got eight Emmys. I'm sure you're a millionaire. And my heart goes out. I'm not mad at him. I felt sad. We can have something that brilliant people can't get. Don't hear me saying it because we turned off our brains and we took a, a leap into the darkness and foolishness. No, I took my brain and I examined the evidence of the resurrection and the credibility of the word of God and the fact that my heart beats and my soul screams with God's law written on it that there is a God and the fact that I have a conscience that excuses me or accuses me And I said, thank you, God. I don't have to wonder who you are. Your word says that you are this kind of God, both holy, almighty, frighteningly just and truthful, and yet you stepped into our world and sent your son to die for me. Wow. Answers a lot of questions. Answers the most important questions. See, when you've got this new master, folks, it's radically different than your original master and his cruel designs to take more and give you less. Take more and give you less. When you've got this new master, Jesus Christ, and righteousness, the slavery to righteousness can lead, and it does lead, to a greater and greater freedom with a corresponding, I'm going to say a word some of you really want, peace. Oh, it's better than what you find in the bottom of a bottle or in a prescription pill or just numbing yourself with endless cable television or blogging and surfing, 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 surfing. Real peace. He says, having been set free from sin, verse 18, you became slaves of righteousness. And you know what righteousness? You know, you know the friends that run with righteousness? You know what runs with righteousness? Isaiah thirty-two seventeen says... The work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. You don't have to have everything in your world right, your circumstances right, your home right, your health right. You can have real peace and quietness and assurance. Some of you know nothing about that. That master sin and that path of an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure, you feel unsettled, insecure, and you're never sure. You're never sure. Am I wearing the right clothes? Am I hanging out with the right people? Am I going to the right club? Am I driving the right car? Am I working in the right place? Because it changes constantly. Our world is built on dissatisfaction to the glory of our enemy Satan. And our God never changes and will satisfy you on a level that's unlike anything this world offers. Peace and quietness and assurance forever. You can have that not because of circumstances. In the midst of bad circumstances, in the midst of uncertain job situation, uncertain health situation, you can have a peace in your soul and a quietness and an assurance knowing that wherever this leads and however this goes, I have a father who gave his son 
who will never leave me or forsake me, who has said, I'm working continually in the good and the bad for my glory and your good. I'm for you, not against you. And this, whatever I'm going through, is light and momentary. See, there's only two options as to who you're going to serve. You're already experiencing the inevitable consequences of what you've been choosing. And there are only two ultimate ends. Two ultimate destinations as to where you're headed based on your master. Either hell or heaven. In this passage, look at it. He uses the word end twice. Romans chapter 6 again. Look at verse 21. When he talks about this mastery of sin. For the end of those things is, say it. That's the end. That's where you're headed. And he's not talking about physical death and your funeral. He's talking about spiritual death and separation from a holy God forever in a, in a Christless hell, a literal hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven in the Bible. It's real. The end is death. Whereas the new master Christ, and as you get on this path of righteousness, he uses the same word in verse 22. And the end, where is it headed? The end, everlasting life. Only two ultimate destinations as to where you're going to end based on who your master is and what path you're trotting. You see, you maybe you're thinking, Brad, how, how do I change masters? I'm interested. How do I change masters? How do I come under the mastery of a better master? Good news. There's one hope. One hope for eternal life. One hope. And it's in verse 17, and it begins with two of my favorite words that have ever been butted up against each other in all the scriptures because they're life-changing. What are those two words? Verse 17, what's it begin with? Oh, say it again. But God. God. Yes, Satan. Yeah, my flesh. Yeah, this world. But God. But God. But God be thanked. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. That form of doctrine to which you were delivered. What doctrine, Paul? The doctrine he's been driving home to us for six chapters now. That the gospel will save you. The gospel has power to set you free. The gospel that Jesus Christ came as the perfect God-man, lived, died, rose again, and ascended to the right hand of the Father is making intercession for us. And it now is offered as the free gift of eternal life, not by works, not by merit, but by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ gives you the righteousness of God forever. That doctrine. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you have obeyed from the heart. We're not talking about a head knowledge, just tip your hat in that direction, okay? From the heart. That doctrine to which you have been delivered. Your rescue starts and ends with God and what Christ has done for us to ransom us and buy us back and redeem us. And see, when he buys you back, when Christ buys you back from that slave block of sin and Satan and makes you his own, you are happy to be conquered by a better master. A Christian woman, Dorothea Day, took that poem by William Henley, Invictus, and, and worked on it and put it in a Christian form. Listen to this. This is what she says. It's called My Captain. Out of the light that dazzles me, bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. 
Since his the sway of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud. Under the rule which men call chance, my head with joy is humbly bowed. I have no fear, though straight the gate. He cleared my punishment from the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. Who's your master? Who owns you? The litmus test of ownership is obedience. Who do you obey? Some of you are caught in that downward spiral of an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure, an ever-increasing... You want to be stuck there for the rest of your life? You don't have to be. There's a way out. There's a way out. And it's one way out. Christ. Christ. Do you urgently want to live under the mastery of a better master? When you reach that point where it's not just with your lips, Lord Jesus, and you say, yes, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I submit. I'm not asking you to set me free to go do my own thing. Set me free to make me captive to you. I want it. I need it. I'm wrecking my own life. Be my master. He's never turned anyone away. Never. He doesn't ask for the resume. He said, well, let me, let me think about this. What would adding you to the team do for me? No. He'll welcome you home. Peace, quietness, assurance forever. God, we thank you for the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for bursting into our world and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Oh, God, set people free. And stir those who know you to rejoice again in what they have instead of what they don't have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.